Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Tonight's class is titled Next to Perfect, and it's, de it's dedicated to the speedy and healthy Rafua Shleim of Nisim ben Chaya. He should have a, only the best of health. Amen. In education, there is good and bad influences for every child. And therefore, the, when one is a parent, they need to know that whatever they are, they have to be a few steps more than what they want their child to be. If you're exactly what you want your child to be, you're giving him no leeway. There's so many negative influences that we have to be aware of the good and the bad out there. So we have to be a few steps ahead. And similarly, when we teach people, we always have to teach them a few steps ahead, just a little bit, but a drop ahead of where they are. Enough that they should be able to follow, but that they should still know that there's more out there. And so when we talk about the Bainani, which we're going to continue this week and hope, hopefully conclude chapter 12, the terminology we're going to learn in chapter 13 is Halavai Bainani. If only we will be a Bainani. Yes, the level expected of a Bainani is tremendous, is great. We all, as we discussed last week, have the ability to be there, but Halavai Bainani, that is our goal. And until then, let's not get discouraged, let's know we could do it, and step by step we will accomplish it. Sure. We're in the middle of chapter 12, page 50, right-hand column. Right-hand column section begins, nevertheless, right before it has the number 16 And previously we've mentioned how there are two items which are here to help us. Number one is, we spoke about Moyach Shalit Al-Halev, our brain, naturally, from birth, has the ability to control and rule over the heart. Moyach Shalit Al-Halev. And second of all, we said, Hashem has created a method whereas evil is, disappears from good. We didn't say, as we discussed at length, we didn't say that we need to fight evil. The second is you have a little light, it pushes away darkness, it's a natural occurrence. Any questions? No. This week we're going to discuss that even though we have some natural power getting us there, and even though the Bainani is so awesome, he's having full control of his thought, speech, and action, nevertheless, he is next to perfect and he is not perfect. He is not perfect at all, he is not at Sadiq. Not only is he not a tzaddik, he is not close to a tzaddik. How does it come that someone who has control of his thought, speech, and action, nonetheless, has evil completely active inside of the left ventricle of his heart? Where does this... How is that possible? It's almost... In Hebrew we have a term, there's a Talmudic term, it's a stira mineyu bay. it's a contradiction within itself. How could you say someone has full control of his thought, speech, and action, and yet has completely active bad within him? And that's what we're going to learn right now. Page 50, right-hand column, nevertheless. 
Nevertheless, although we naturally have our brain overpowering our heart and that evil disappears when there's good, nevertheless, such a person is not deemed a tzaddik at all. You have control of your thought, speech, and action. You're not a tzaddik. Because the superiority which delight of the divine soul possesses over the darkness, darkness and foolishness of the Khalifa, wherewith the latter is expelled forthwith, we explain that when you have a little light, it dis darkness disappears. The energy for good to completely remove evil exists only in the aforementioned three garments, but does not extend to its very essence and being in relation to those of the Kalipa. This natural power for the good to make evil disappear only refers to the three garments of thought, speech, and action, but not to its essence. So the essence of bad still remains. You could be doing a lot of good, but the essence of bad has not been removed. You may, you've pushed it away. You've pushed it into a corner. But the second the light moves away, the darkness is going to prevail again. So again, although thought, speech, and action may be in check, but we have not removed the evil within us. Why? For in the Bainani, the essence and being of the animal soul, which come from the klipa, and where is the animal soul from the klipa in the left part of the heart, remains entirely undislodged after prayer. After prayer, remember we said in Shul, you're completely focused, you have this tremendous love of Hashem, and yet, the second you leave Shul, the evil comes and pops right back up. Exactly like you turn on a light, the darkness disappears, but you turn off the light, and it's there again. You're in Shul, it's not there, you leave Shul, and it pops back up. Why is this? Anyone have a thought? Why is it that although you're trying as hard as you can, yet the evil is not removed? What's the reason behind this, Jonathan? The tzaddik is able to convert the klipa into something towards righteousness, holiness. Uh, we just aren't. We are. We don't have that potential. Exactly. We haven't transformed the bad. We haven't done anything to transform it. We've suppressed it. But the bainani doesn't transform it, and that's why we continue. For then, when the Benini leaves Shul, when he leaves his focused concentration on his love of Hashem, the burning love of God is not in a revealed state in his heart. You were in Shul, you were passionate, and you walked outside and you became passionate about something else. And, and the, the burning love of God is not in a revealed state in his heart in the right part. Is... So fascinating. Does the Bainani have love of Hashem when he walks out of Shul? Yeah. What type of love? Yeah. What? what? What love does he have? There's no revealed love. So he has, every Jew has an inward natural love. The love of a child to his parent. So in Shul, he's taken that love and he's built on it. It's like you see a child that is in love with the parent. That's an active, this... But then you have a child, you may not see it, but he's naturally in love with his father. He's naturally in, lo in love with his mother. So when the Benini leaves Shul, yes, he's in love with Hashem, but 
It's an inward concealed love, like a child. And that love is not enough to remove evil. The love, the, when you see a child that is... Is that the love of oneself? What is, when you say an inward love, what, is, what is exactly does that mean? Well, the truth is it is the love of oneself, in a deeper sense. You love who you are. Who are you? As a Jew, we're one with Hashem. So yes, you're, you're loving yourself, essentially. Yes. Yeah. Is that like an involuntary type of thing? That it's, that no matter what, you, you exactly. always have that? Exactly. There is a love of Hashem within you that is always going to be there. Yes. Where when you go to shul, you're actually... It's more other directed. Absolutely. The love is vibrant, it's active. So when the love is active and vibrant, the evil pushed away, it's not active. You're now loving Hashem. <laughs> the opposite is out. But the moment you've walked out of shul and you've got caught up with something else, so then the love all of a sudden is not active and the evil starts chiming in. You start having other thoughts. You mean in thoughts, speech, and action, it's not active? What's the love is not active in thought, speech, and action. Correct. Okay. Correct. Where is the love? But it's only inwardly paved with hidden love. There's a hidden love. That is a natural adoration of the divine soul as will be explained later. Naturally, every Jew loves Hashem. We're going to speak about a natural love and fear that every Jew has for Hashem. So that the Bainani has the moment he leaves Shul. But this active love, this exciting love, he doesn't have. And therefore, continues the Tanya, therefore it is possible for the, for the folly of the wicked fool Remind me, who's the wicked fool? We discussed last week that evil is called a fool. Melech zakein uksil. We say that evil is called an old and foolish king. Why is he called old? Because he comes into the body before the godly soul. The second a child's born, the animalistic soul comes. So he's the old guy on the block. Then you have the new guy, which is the, the godly soul comes in a little bit um, at, at the naming of a girl, at the bris of a boy, a little more at age 3, even more at age 13, but fully only at age 13. So at age 13, he's a new guy. You know, you know like they say in, in, in a lot of businesses, the new guy on the block, they, you, you know, you bash him around. So the, the godly soul, he's a new guy on the block. But nonetheless, you still have the natural innate love. But when you don't have the active and vibrant love, it's possible for the folly of the wicked fool, the animalistic soul, to rise openly in the left part of his heart, creating a lust for all material things of this world. So now all of a sudden the folly is getting active, the evil is getting active, and it's coming up within you. But, let's now focus on our discussion at hand. The Benini, when the evil pops in, what does the Benini do? It pushes it away. But now we're going to learn something fascinating. Remember, we all have the ability to be a Benini. But now we'll learn something fascinating. The Benini, if an evil thought comes into its mind, it pushes it away. But, if someone wants to do something permissible, but for inappropriate reasons, the Bainani over there at times will, will pay attention to that thought. 
Let me give you an example. A Benini comes Yom Kippur, he's never going to dream of eating on Yom Kippur. He may, be, he may be very thirsty, he may be very hungry, but he's never going to really come up with a plan how he's going to eat on Yom Kippur. However, the Benini may very well really starts focusing on how he could do something allowed but something that wouldn't be appropriate for him. In each one of these two cases, though, the Bainani will always make sure it will never come to fruition, it will never happen. And that's what we say, we say right now. Whether per permitted, we're on page 52, left-hand column, the Bainani thinks about things, the evil brings up thoughts, whether permitted, or God forbid, prohibited. As if he had not prayed at all. The second the Benini walks out of Shul, the evil comes back to him as if it never left. It's in its original form. Remember, by prayer, the evil is not refined, it's just suppressed. Well, the second you leave Shul, it just pops back in, in its full glory. So what is the difference between evil? What is the difference between thoughts that are permissible but shouldn't be done or prohibited thoughts. Nevertheless, in regard to a forbidden matter, it does not occur to him to actually violate the, the prohibition, God forbid. The Benini, the second a forbidden thought comes to his mind, he ignores it. And it remains in the realm of sinful thoughts which are more serious than actual sin. The Benini knows that even to think about something sinful is worse than to actually sin in a certain degree, in a certain sense, and which can be forceful enough to rise to his mind, to distract him from the Torah and divine service. The second a sinful thought comes, the Benini knocks it out. As our sages said, there are three sins against which a man is daily not safeguarded, sinful thoughts, distraction, prayer, and the Gemara and Baba Basra continues in slanderous gossip. What are we saying here? <coughs> well, let's quote that Gemara. The Gemara is really a good summary. The Gemara says, There's three sins that a person is not saved, for, is, is not saved from every day. It's, it's too hard. Number one, sinful thoughts. And that's what we said about the Bainani. We're talking about the Bainani here. The Bainani, the sinful thought is going to come to his mind. He can't stop himself. Again, if he sees something inappropriate and he, he has a desire for it, his, he's, not, he's going to have a desire for it. But the Bainani stops it immediately at the time. He's able to make a full stop. What does it mean that thought could be worse than sin? What does it mean that sinful thoughts are more serious than actual sin? Melissa, I'm going to pick on you. What does that mean? Because you can think about things more than the actual two seconds of doing it. So then you're, you're kind of doing it longer. That's interesting. It sticks with you for longer right. if you think about it. Dr. Yosef, what do you think? Well, I was going to say about the same. It's some. You're <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Please, Garrison. Um, is it because um, 
What the thought is the is the initial action that causes you to not think about Torah or holy things, and by the time you get to the action, you, you you've already parted ways from what you should be focused on. I mean, everyone's saying fantastic things. Thought you're able to you're able to stick on. Um, it's the kind of the gateway to the other to, to actual sin. Sandra, you wanted to share? I think it was closer to that, where if you're thinking about uh, thought entails sorry action entails the thought. Action entails the thought. You don't do something without thinking about it prior. Well, at um, some level. At some level. You may not be conscious. That's I it. guess if you do a sin, you could do teshuva. Right. And then be done with it, maybe. Whereas if it's in your mind, it goes on and on and on, and you don't do teshuva because you think you're going to do teshuva. Well, that's the main point I wanted to share. But I first wanted to hear from Basha. You wanted to share. Well, I, it could be that it's um, coming from our essence. What do you mean? Um, when you have a thought, it's coming from our essence. It's more important because it's Thought is the closest thing to our essence. To do something, you could be very disconnected from what you're doing. You could also be, you could also think about something, sorry, you could also speak about something very disconnected. And yes, you could even think about something that, but at the same time, thought is the closest of the three garments to you. So when you dwell on something in your mind, it actually has the greatest inner effect. And you could see that clearly if you turn to chapter 11, footnote number 4. The truth is, this quote we already discussed in chapter 11. Footnote number 4, it's on page 46 in the Tanya. Page 46 in the Tanya, footnote number 4. The reason why, you see, you see that, bottom... Footnote number four, do you have it? The reason why contemplation of sin is more serious than actual sin is that of the three garments of the soul, thought, speech, and action, thought is the innermost and closest to the soul, hence the contamination strikes closer to the core. So, if we do something, in the world we've created the greatest flaw. In other words, of course, sinning Doing a physical sin is much greater than thinking about a sin and its effect in the world. But in one aspect on our soul, on our being, thinking about it has a deeper effect than the actual action. And so therefore the Bainani knows that if he's going to allow himself to get caught up in an inappropriate thought, he's contaminating his soul on quite a deep level. He stops that right away. Yes, Yitzhak. Uh, the, is the Proximity of that thought close to the nefesh or the neshama of the world? Fantastic question. The soul has five parts. And so Yitzchak is asking which one of the five parts of the soul does the garments of our soul affect? Very good question. I don't know the answer. It's a good question. And I... Yeah, I'm going to leave it for right now. I think in chapter 4 it discusses it. But. The thought of sin creates the potentiality. The act cannot be realized without the creation of potential. 
without the potential for generating electricity, a person cannot be electrocuted in an electric chair. The potential for evil always exists in the thought. There is no potential without evil thoughts. The tzaddik does not even have evil thoughts. The Benoni does. Yes, well said. The tzaddik does not have an evil. So the evil thought doesn't come up within him. The Benoni has evil. And therefore the evil thought will come up. But the Benoni says, Zayt gesund. I'll see, you know, not, not now. So, if this is a case that the Benini has active bad within him and it's real, so now how does the Benini win over evil when he left Shul? When he's in Shul, it's easy. He's vibrant, he's active, he's alive, but he leaves Shul and he, he, goes, he goes to his business in whatever capacity he may find himself. How now does he have the ability to survive the issues of the day? I think all of us could relate to this question. And this is a question that I often hear. People often say, in Shul, I'm Jewish. In Shul, I could, but I leave, it doesn't click. So where does the Benini, and for that matter, where does every Jew have the power to take the Shul out with him, to take the energy and survive within the world? Good disperses evil, so by performing good, the evil is pushed, pushed away, like we learned about last week. Good disperses evil, and yes, but now we're going to learn that good, we have good disperses evil plus one major factor added in for us. And that is, we could call it the stain. If you do something, there's always a mark. The mark may be, may be, very, may be very light. In other words, it may be a very uh, limited mark. It may not be so deep. But some, something remains. If you go to Shul and you were involved in your prayer, you're going to leave with something. So taking that energy that you leave with plus the ability of good to overpower evil, together we have the, we have the power to succeed through our day. On a very practical aspect, that is the whole reason for mezuzot, for tzitzit, for governing our conduct, because that is a constant reminder not to preoccupy ourselves with evil. Yes, yes, we have constant reminders to focus, to focus on good. Well said. And I think this is something, again, we'll often hear from, I mean, I've heard it numerous times, and I'm sure, I'm sure all of you have. If someone wakes up in the morning, and they follow the Torah protocol, which is to wait in bed for a few moments to say Modani, the first thing you do in the morning is you acknowledge Hashem exists. You wash your hands before getting out of bed to say, I'm a Kohen, I'm a priest, I'm going to now serve Hashem. If we wake up with this mindset, it has an effect on the entire day. And the same thing is if we're going to be able to take the time, whatever it is, and, there's, and however much time we have to pray, and whatever that means to each of us. But if we do do that, there's, there's going to be an effect on the entire day. It's going to make the entire day better. So we're not coming to Shul as a drag. We're coming to Shul, it's actually going to have an amazing effect on us. They share that following World War II, unfortunately, there were many survivors who didn't pass on the passion, not many, there were some survivors who didn't pass on the, the passion and excitement of Judaism. And their children left. And when those children were asked why, they said, because we looked at our parents 
and we just saw a burden. We just saw a headache. We just saw going to Shul as like, whoa, if I'm not on time, we just, we just saw issues. But the truth is, all of us, it's our responsibility to know and to teach and share that Judaism is not a burden, it's not a, it's not a headache. If we follow the protocol, so to say, then we're setting ourselves up for a successful day. We're setting ourselves up for success in everything we're going to do. Let's see that inside. Any questions? Let's, yes, please, Garrison. Um, and this may go back to a few months ago, but so if Hashem gives us the ability to have our brain control our heart, and that's and the vanity has the ability to do that, so does Hashem also give the tzaddik the ability to have no evil, or is, or is the tzaddik a vanity that is worked and achieved remarkable results? Fantastic or question. Or we already discuss this? No, no, it's a great question. In short, and we'll discuss this more at, at a later time, in short, a tzaddik <clears throat> was born with such a soul, generally speaking. Okay. It, we're going to learn that if, you, if your task is to be a Benini, then let that be your standard and don't really reach higher. If you could do higher, it's great, but don't, don't stress if you never get rid of evil in your lifetime. To give you an example, when Yaakov Avinu played the trick on his brother Esav with the advice of his mother, Rivka, Rivka gave him advice to trick his father and say that I am Esav. One of the commands that Esav gave his son, that one of the commands that Yitzchak, Isaac, gave his son Esav was, make me mat'amim, in Hebrew delicacies, in the plural, lashon rabim, which means two types of delicacies. And Kabbalah shares with us that Hashem has two types of delicacies. Hashem has the delicacy of the tzaddik, and Hashem has the delicacy, he has, he has pleasure from the bainani. So it's not our task to go ahead and try and go above the bainani. So now let's go ahead and back, and let's see how does the bainani have the power when he leaves shul, when he leaves that awesome energy, whether it's shul, whether it's a gathering of a, a Jewish gathering that leaves us with that energy. Where does the Bainani have the power to succeed throughout the entire day? Page 52, left column, however. However, the impression of prayer on the intellect and the hidden innate fear and love of God in the right part of the heart. However, the impression, meaning that that remaining stain, what would be a better word than stain? Well, like the remaining... Blush. No, Blush. it's a good thing, what? Evidence. Evidence? Impact. impact. The remaining impact from Shul, from that positive stain. gathering... Stain <laughs> we'll stick with impact. Yeah. The remaining impact, plus the, the hidden fear of God and love of God that everyone has an able one to prevail and triumph over this evil of passionate craving. There's this passion, I mean this is serious wording, there's passionate craving. The left side has serious stuff going on. And yet we have the power to, to overpower it because of that impact and the innate fear and love of God. 
and we're able to deprive it, we're able to deprive the evil from gaining supremacy and dominion over the city. Our body, our body is a city. We're able to hold back the evil. And from cower, carrying out this desire, from the potential into the actual, by closing itself into the bodily organs. Yeah. The Bainani is able to say, you're not coming close. How does he have this power? From the impact of the event and from the innate love of, and fear in, of God. Not only that, but we're now going to learn the Bainani has the ability to do the exact opposite. The Bainani has the ability to take a passion he's having and do the exact opposite desire. Or, as we're going to continue, the Bainani has the ability to go and connect with someone that he truly hates and do acts of love for him. And to skip to the end, the primary example is going to be Yosef HaTzadik. Yosef HaTzadik, his brothers tried to kill him. They truly thought they had killed him. They came up with a whole scheme. They put him in a pit. The pit had snakes and scorpions. Yes, they then took him out. But they truly tried to kill him. And, yet, and later on he comes and he sustains them. He takes care of them. And that is the Bainani. The Bainani has the ability to take whatever passion he has for the negative and do the exact opposite in the good. Let's continue on. Moreover, even in the mind alone, insofar as sinful thoughts are concerned, evil has no power to compel the minds to entertain willingly, God forbid, any wicked thought rising of its own accord, from the heart to the brain, as discussed above. We said, evil has no power. Yeah, the thought may come from the heart to the brain. But the Bainani says, stop. But no sooner does it reach his brain, than he thrusts it out with both hands. Imagine, you take something and you throw it with both hands. The Bainani takes the evil thought, he thrusts it out with both hands, and averts his mind from it the instant he reminds himself that it is an evil thought. In other words, the Bainani, as we mentioned, it comes up. And he may forget even that it's evil. This is a problem we all have. Sometimes things happen and we don't even recognize what it is at the time. We don't recognize is it good, is it evil. So the Bainani, it could stick with him for a little bit. But the moment he recognizes that it's evil, he takes both hands and he gets rid of it. And averts his mind from it the instant he reminds himself that it is an evil thought refusing to accept it willingly, even to let his thoughts play on it willingly. He's not even going to allow his mind to think about it for a moment. How much more so to entertain any idea of putting it into effect, God forbid, or even to put it into words. The Bainini won't even allow himself to express this evil idea. Why? How do we know this? Because we learned in chapter 1, quoting the Talmud, that for he who willingly indulges in such thoughts is deemed wicked at such time, whereas a Bainani is never wicked for a single moment. We mentioned that if someone has evil thoughts and he indulges in them, and we even mentioned that if someone sees someone doing something bad and he doesn't protest, so at that moment the Gemara shares with us, you're called a Russia, and the Bainani is not a Russia. 
So clearly, the Benini is someone who, when an evil thought comes, he throws it out. So too, just like it is in your thoughts, so too in matters affecting a person's relation with his neighbor, as soon as there arises from his heart to his mind some animosity or hatred, God forbid a thought of hate comes to our head, or jealousy or anger, or a grudge and such like, whatever the feeling, whatever the emotion may be, he gives them no entrance into his mind and will. The Benini says no. On the contrary, and this is what we mentioned earlier, the Benini takes his negative thought, his mind exercises its authority and power over the spirit in his heart to do the very opposite and to conduct himself towards his neighbor with the quality of kindness and a display of abundant love. This is very, very... I could just say from a per, from, on a personal level, it's, it's very hard to think of. Someone did to you real, real stuff and you're going to do the exact opposite. But it's also very powerful. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So it seems like maybe I'm oversimplifying it, trying to understand. The evil is from the outside coming in, but the in repels the evil. The inner self is able to repel the evil. Well, let's kind of re rephrase that. You have, they're both within. The left side is evil, the right side is good. So the left side is constantly trying to shoot up thoughts. And the right side is able to overpower it and say, not now. Not only not now, but I'm going to take your thought and do the exact opposite. In the Benoni, but not in the Rasha. Correct. This is specifically in the Benoni, yes. On the contrary, his mind exercises its authority and power over the spirit in his heart to do the very opposite and to conduct himself towards his neighbor with the quality of kindness and a display of abundant love to the extent of suffering from him. He's willing to suffer from this person that he truly doesn't like to the extreme limits without being provoked into anger, God forbid, or to revenge in kind, God forbid. This is very, very hard to imagine. Someone is really hurting you and you have good reasons to want to do something and yet you're, you have, the Benini has the ability to not only not hate him but to withhold any feelings but rather to repay the offenders with favors. Not only that, you're able to look him in the eye and do good to him. As taught in the Zohar, that one should learn from the example of Joseph towards his brothers. Let's summarize this, and then we'll take some questions. There's been many people who evil has been done to them, and nonetheless, they repaid it with kindness. There's been many people. You know, there was a video that was going around on uh, about the time of Tisha B'Av this year. Very scary story. There was, there was, there were two elderly men, and whenever they would see each other, one would smile to the other, but they wouldn't really interact. They would just keep on going. And finally, a grandchild turned to his aide and he said, What's the story? Like, I, what's going on here? And his aide told him, he said, That man, it was right before the Nazis were going to come and get our family. 
And I shared with that man information how our family was going to escape. And he took the information and saved his family, and everyone aside from me died. I mean, that's it's quite a serious story. And he turns to his grandson and he says, but nonetheless, I understand the times that we were living in then were different. And everyone then, it was just a different life. And I, I'm able to forgive him. This is a man who lost his entire family. True story, a man lost his entire family. And yet he was able to look the other guy in the eye and give him a smile. <clears throat> so why are we mentioning Yosef at Tzadik? Why is Yosef the example of someone who evil was done to him and he paid it with good? The Torah in that story has amazing terminology. When the Torah tells us the story of, jo of Yosef at Tzadik, it tells us how Yosef turns to his brothers and he says, you didn't do any evil to me. At the end, after Yaakov passed away, the brothers were worried that Yosef would finally now turn against them. And Yosef turns to them and he says, No, no, no. It was from Hashem. I know this whole story was from Hashem. Hashem sent me in front to go ahead and sustain you. The Torah clearly shares how the worst of evil was from Hashem. Within the story, within the wording of the Torah, we clearly see how the worst of evil seemingly at the time was actually clearly planned by Hashem. We say in the Haggadah, anyone familiar with what we say in the Haggadah regarding this story? We say that if Yaakov Avinu didn't come on his own, Hashem would have brought him down in chains. Yaakov needed to get to Egypt. Quote in the Passover Haggadah, Yaakov needed to get there. This was Hashem's method of making it happen. So the Zohar share, shares with us, why is Yosef the person that we use as an example of someone who repaid evil with good? Because he knew it was from Hashem. If we know that when someone is doing something negative to us, if we could find within it whatever message, so we'll know that it's not that person, but there's, this is really from Hashem. The only way to be able to repay evil with good is by being able to find the good, the godly message within it. And that is the message we learned from Yosef Atatik. So let's wrap up chapter 12 together and we'll take questions. To wrap it all up, the Bainani has control of thought, speech, and action. He does not have control of his essence. When the Bainani is in Shul, he's awesome, he's passionate, it's real. He leaves Shul, it disappears but not fully. An impact remains. And together with the ability of his mind overpowering his heart, with the ability of evil being moved away by good, and finally the natural and innate love and fear that Hashem created within us, all of this together gives the Bainani the ability to overpower the evil. Any questions? Yes. Well, I have a trivial question and I have a not trivial question. Let me start with the trivial question. So, in modern thinking about biology, we don't think of the heart as the, the seat of thought or emotion. We think it's all in the brain. 
but, but here it says, well, you know, the, the left side of the heart is bad, and the right side, that's where the good comes from. But, so I, I don't know what to, what to make of it, unless it's just sort of a, a metaphor. I mean, I can accept it as a metaphor. I'll take that question. We, we discussed in previous chapters that the animalistic soul is the blood. Blood sustains you. The animalistic soul is, is the life force of a person. And therefore it's in the heart. The godly soul is in the brain. Within the heart itself we explained that the right ventricle, in the words of Tanya, we called it empty of blood, but really the blood within the right ventricle doesn't have life within it. It's coming back into the heart. It's not full of life. The, the blood in the left ventricle, that's already full of life. Has, and it's ready to now sustain the rest of the body. So when we talk about the animalistic soul being in the heart, and in the left side of the heart, that's because that is where the blood that is ready to give life to the entire body sits. We also have to think of this in the context of the time. The Rebbe, being a uh, knowledgeable person and a scholar, not only in Jewish studies, was speaking in the manner of the best science at the time. In that space of time from the Rebbe's death until, say, 1870, such huge strides were made that what seems to us now to be mythical at that time was applicable, but now we look at it with a raised eyebrow. And so we probably have to take it metaphorically and not actually, but it was appropriate for the science at the time. To, to answer your direct question, we're just saying that the animalistic soul is, is in the heart. We're not saying thought, speech, and action is in the heart. Thought, speech, and action does come from the brain. But we're saying the essence of the animalistic soul is in the heart. Well, I mean, you know, like when they see left toe and so yeah. on. Um, um, I mean, in the old days, people thought that the seed of all, all of this was in the heart. Yeah. I mean, that, that, was, that, was, that was what the way people thought in those days. Yeah. But uh, well, people still, even today, think in metaphorical terms of the heart and yeah. emotion. Yeah. And I, I think it's appropriate to examine this in relative terms because if you're left-handed, you put your tefillin on on the right side and it's perfectly acceptable. It's not an absolute. You had a second question? I did. Please. Uh, the second question was, um, the, how, how do you square this? With, like in the Torah, it talks about harassing the Midianites because they tried to, to um, you know, make the Jews worship idols yeah. and all that. And, and we're not nice to them. <laughs> we wipe them all out. It's a command of the Torah. Midianites or Amalek? Well, when the um, um, uh, was it Bil Bilam yeah. that tried to influence the Jews yeah. Yeah. to get the, the yeah uh, the Benini is still able to go to war and fight. In other words, uh, and this is something I think that is important in today's day and age. Is like a, a lack of pe people today think peace 
is awesome, we'll do anything for peace. Even if it's going to mean our own death. Even if it's going to mean that, you know, there's no, there's no morals. A, a, a good and moral per person, a good person, a holy person is going to fight to make sure that the world is a safe place, is a secure place, and is a place that, um, you know, God is proud of. So, yes, if there's corruption, like that story you mentioned, then the Bainani is going to fight to remove that corruption. And that's not a contradiction. War is not always equal <coughs> to evil. War is not always equal to evil. And if Hashem... There could be righteous passes, reasons. Yeah. For, yes. And we're following Hashem. <coughs> right, and David HaMelech... David HaMelech, one of the things he did was he fought wars. Yet, still Hashem said, if you fought wars and you have blood on your hands, I don't want you building the Beis Hamikdash. <coughs> so there is that, you know, double, you know, double point. But the essence of war is not always evil, if it's needed for a spe good reason. I think Garrison had a question. You had a question, Garrison? No. Okay. And any other questions? I have to say I'm troubled by the, the Benoni's capacity to forgive for certain types of evil, like, a, God forbid, assault, rape, something terrible yeah. of that nature. How, does, how do you reconcile that with, I mean, is that, the, I mean, the, you have to have a very high level of are you, are you saying you disagree it's a good idea or you're asking how it can be done? I'm saying it seems to me it's more often than not it's, it's an understandable psychological reaction to no argument. an act of evil. No, no argument. I, I, yes, if someone did evil to you naturally you'll be upset or you'll hate them. Or to somebody... The point we're making here is that the Benini has a power to control his emotions. That's really the summary of the point we're trying to point across. But Rabbi, I thought ultimately though, everything uh, that happens is ultimately for the good. Yes. Because Hashem creates certain pathways that it's ultimately for the good. We may not understand it and see it because we're not Hashem, but ultimately, something could come about from something horrible and it's reshaped in a positive energy for society yeah. or the person. That, and that's the message of what we learned here. Yes, yes, thank you. Yeah. The state of Israel. Right. Yeah, and before we conclude, I want to go back to what Dr. Yosef said, the, the point of, of war. Just to mention, Pinchas was raised and elevated from a non-Kohen to become a Kohen, the only person in the history of Judaism to become a Kohen. And the reason was because he stood up for immoral and inappropriate behavior, and he did something grave. He actually ended someone's life. He ended two people's life. But that was what was necessary at the time. So there are times that holiness demands serious, serious action. Okay, thank you everyone. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you.